0: Again, thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the sermon. No one will be more surprised than me if I die of natural causes. I have long believed that my mouth would be the cause of my premature departure from this mortal coil. In all my years of life, it never occurred to me that the cause of that may be someone else's mouth, like that of my son. Uh, so I saw Rowan, he's just recently turned four. Uh, I remember in the mornings, we'd kind of get him ready. A lot of times we had to watch a little bit of screen time just to kind of aid with the breakfast, get ready to get out the door process. And I was desperate to get away from Cocoa Melon. Okay, so parents, you get it, right? There's only so many times you could listen to a song about shapes on a train before your sanity leaves forever. So I'm like, i got to get away from this thing. This nonsense has been going on way too much in my life. And so i fi- well, like, I got to find another show for him. So I find this show called Transformers Rescue Bots. It's like Transformers but for like little kids, right? So there's no like bad guys that they're fighting. It's just advanced race of alien robots that came to earth to kick cats out of trees. Right? It's Paw Patrol, but with robots. And so I'm trying to get him into this show. I'm like, i got to make this happen. At least I have some nostalgia from watching Transformers as a kid. So like, we, could, we could do this. And it starts off and the, one of the robots is getting yelled at for having a bad attitude and he's like, you know, like, what do you want me to do? Just act like a mindless robot and just be like, yes, master. And Rowan laughs. And I'm like, yes! And all of a sudden I start playing like a scene from Braveheart in the back of my head where it's like, freedom! I'm like, I'm done. I've conquered baby bum. Those years are behind me. We can move on now in the right direction. And I was super excited to be free. A couple of weeks go by and Uh, My wife and I would take Rowan to Broadway. He's in a stroller, and we're walking up on this massive group of people that are all kind of gathered outside one of the restaurants. And Rowan stands up in his stroller. I'm like, "Buddy, you gotta, you gotta sit down. That is not safe." And she turns, looks at me, and he goes, "Yes, master." (laughs) In case you don't understand that, this is a picture of my son. He's adorable, he knows it. There's another problem here that you may have noticed, okay? I tell him, buddy, you can't say that. He says, why? I'm like, because you, our black son, cannot say to your white parents, master. (laughs) (laughs) Which, of course, causes him to say it more and louder. So at this point, everybody in like a four-mile radius is looking at us. NASA's got a satellite over, like that guy, he's in trouble. I'm like, I don't explain this to a group of people, like it's okay, we don't tell him to call us that it's from Transformers. So, like, buddy, we're not to, second thought, we're not going to Broadway anymore. We're gonna go find a safe house. <laughs> Why? Because the thing behind you is called a lynch mob, and I don't think I can take all of them at once. So what I'm trying to explain to you, like, you can't say this. Why? Oh, I don't know if you have ever tried to explain slavery, emancipation, and racial tension to a three-year-old. I found I lacked the words to do so effectively. So now I'm, I'm pretty good. It's like a coin toss. one It's his mouth or my mouth that will result in my death. See, we live in a world of division. Where there is division, there will be tension and often conflict. We're not the first culture to struggle with this. Racism, prejudice, division, conflict, these are not new. Since the fall, every country, every nation throughout history and time has struggled with these exact issues because there is a sickness in the human heart. But there is a remedy for that sickness. See, when Jesus comes into our lives, he doesn't just change our relationship with God. He changes our relationships with each other. A genuine relationship with Jesus will impact, if not transform, every relationship that you have. So if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, we're going to be in Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11. We're going to pick up from where Rick left off in his grueling marathon that he did last week, covering a whole three verses. I don't know if you guys are keeping track, but he's taught twice in this series and covered a massive five verses in total. Yeah, he's suffered a whole lot with that. So, right, we're going to do more than twice that today. So we're going to dive right in. Verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you at that time were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So you see these two groups mentioned a lot, especially in the New Testament, Jew and Gentile. Jews are the descendants of the tribe of Judah from the nation of Israel. They are part of God's chosen people set apart by the covenant of circumcision. Gentile is basically everyone else. They are the godless, heathen, pagan outsiders. And these two groups do not get along. So the Jews believed that the Gentiles were created to fuel the fires of hell. Like, isn't that nice? I just love that people would think that about you, like, ha we are God's people, and all the rest of y'all were created to be kindling in hell's eternal bonfire. Have a nice day. <laughs> in the eyes of the Jews, the Gentiles were Dogs. It was illegal in Jewish law to help a Gentile woman during childbirth because you would be aiding and bringing another godless heathen into the world. Like, so basic just human decency does not exist between these two groups of people. In the eyes of the Gentiles, Jews were homicidal enemies of the human race. Right, so neither side even considered the other to be human. So the racial tensions that we see today, even at their peak... They don't hold a candle to the tension and divide that existed between Jew and Gentile. Because that divide, it wasn't something that happened from misunderstanding or differences or history. It was something that was built into their faith. See, the Israelites, they were called to be God's chosen people to be different. Their laws, their customs, their practices, all of them were set up to separate themselves, to make themselves different from those dirty, rotten Gentiles. So for them to be different, to have this separation, to have this conflict with the Gentiles was not something that was like, oh, we need to fix this because it's a problem in our hearts. It was, this is something we celebrate because it's our faithfulness to God in order to be this. Because the Jews... We're a chosen nation to be holy. Now, we struggle to understand this because we typically don't understand the word holy. Right? So we think of a holy, right? We think of purity, right? Holy is like the guy who doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, doesn't chew, doesn't go with girls who do, like he follows all the rules. He gives money to the poor, right? He helps at a food pantry all the time. Just a good dude who lives a really good life, right? That's holiness. No, it is not holiness is the hand towel in your guest bathroom. Right? Guys, you know what I'm talking about? The one that you're never allowed to touch because it's for guests and if you touch it you lose your hand. Right? Lord forbid you use the bathroom, but if you use the bathroom you got to wash your hands in a whole different space because that towel is not for you. It's never for you. It's for guests. That's holiness. To be holy is to be set apart. It's not a moral pure person, it's a hand towel. For thousands of years, there was violence, hatred, distance, and distrust between Jew and Gentile. And so Paul refers to the Gentiles as being without God. Now that seems really insensitive, or weird, right? Like if you look at the ancient world, like they were super religious. Like ancient Greeks, they had gods for everything. They have a god for beekeeping. They have a god for beans. Not even like all carbs, just specifically the bean god. They have a god for travel, a god for purity, a god for, uh, for fertility, for beauty. Like everything you can imagine. A god for sweeping the house. They had a god for that. <laughs> Personal favorite is a god named Epimetheus, who is the god of excuses. Excuses. I've known a lot of people who spent a lot of time in that temple. You get there. They had, in, throughout ancient Greece, temples, statues, entire cities devoted to their gods. They built shrines and altars in their homes, they made sacrifices brought offerings, they prayed, they worshiped, they were extremely devout. And so Paul says, all of their practices, all of their faith, all of their devotion is nothing. Well, that's kind of rude, isn't it? No. False gods and false beliefs are nothing. You see, all the passion, all the worship, all the ceremony in the world Means nothing if it is devoted to something that doesn't exist. See, so we live in a world that says it's belief that matters. It doesn't matter what you believe in, so long as you believe in something, believe in a, a higher power or something greater than yourself, because that's what's gonna grow you. That's what's gonna make you your best version of yourself and channel your inner spiritual being. It doesn't matter what you believe, it's just that you believe that's important. Right, like, if that's true, take them in a plane. Give them a dumbbell instead of a parachute and say, jump. Right? Because it doesn't matter what you have, as long as you have something, right? So all of a sudden, though, then the song starts to change. Because we realize when we our life is on the line. Man, what you put your faith in, it's only as good. Your faith is only as good as what you place it in. And so the Gentiles, that's us, or almost all of us, They are outsiders, separated, cut off. Paul says they are without God and without hope. See, this is a subtler version of a point that's made all throughout Scripture, a point that we often miss because we have this weird belief that if I'm a good person and I live a good life and I do good things, then I deserve to go to the good place of heaven and all that stuff because that's just what's fair That's not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches over and over again, the point he makes here is that without God, there is no hope. Because the problem we have is not a problem we can fix. And we were outsiders, cut off, and separated. The biblical term for that is alienation. And that's the problem that Jesus came to fix. Verse 13 but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made us both one and has brought us, that has broken down in, the, in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to one spirit, through one spirit to the Father. Now, the imagery here is profound and graphic. What he's saying is intensely emotional. See, in the temple, there was a wall that separated the court of the Gentiles from the rest of the temple. And inscribed on this wall of separation was a series of warnings called Thanatos Inscriptions, which read, No foreigner is permitted to enter the barricade that surrounds the sanctuary or the enclosure. Anyone caught doing so will have himself to blame for his own ensuing death. That's inscribed on the wall of the church in stone. That's what you and I would be seeing. When we go to the temple, when we go to the place where God was to be worshipped, as close as we could get, what we would be reading is that message. Like, welcome, we're so glad that you've joined us this morning. If you cross this line, we murder you. I'm feeling the love. We couldn't even go in because we were outsiders. We didn't have a place. We couldn't go to where, we couldn't even go in where God was being worshipped and worshipped with other people who were worshipping him. We were separated. We could get close but not enter. We could draw near but not connect because we were outsiders, outcasts, cut off. And a great wall and the threat of death kept us out. And it was like that for thousands of years. A constant reminder that the amount of love that you had for God didn't matter. You were always going to be further away than everybody else. Because you didn't really have a place there. And then Jesus comes. And he tears the walls down. Jesus took the stones that kept us out and he turns them into ash and rubble because Jesus unites all of his people through himself because church, what binds us together is not a political scheme, it's not a social ideal, it's not uh, an intellectual thought or a sports team. What binds us together, the remedy for our conflict and division, for our separation from God and from one another is the cross. Now listen, you cannot have union with Jesus without also being united to his people. Because in order for us to draw near to Jesus, we first must step over the rubble of the walls that separated us from one another. There is no unity with Jesus that also has disunity with his people. See, the sickness that's in our hearts, it's not mended by policies or laws. It can't be regulated. It can't be fixed by activism and awareness. Because the sickness, it's not just our heads. It's not just our hearts. It's woven into the fabric of our brokenness in sin. The sickness that we have that creates conflict and tension with one another, We have no power to heal. But it's exactly the illness that Jesus came to heal. So Jesus brings reconciliation. And Jesus brings peace with all of us to one another in himself and through himself by abolishing the law of commandments. At which point you go, uh uh-oh. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law but to fulfill it. And I tell you the truth, that not the least stroke of a pen, not the dotting of an I or the crossing of a T will fade from these things until they have all been accomplished. So Jesus says emphatically, I did not come to abolish the law. And now Paul says, Jesus abolished the law. That kind of feels like a contradiction. Is it? No. Jesus fulfilled the moral law. That is the expectations and demands of the law to be righteous. By living a perfect life and honoring God in everything, Jesus fulfilled the law, not abolished it. What Paul was referring to is the ceremonial law. That's the washings, the Sabbath rituals, the purification practices, many of the laws that were given as customs, not as God's law for how we live and be purified, but as customs to help his people be separate and different from the Gentiles around them. Those laws are no longer valid. Those laws are no longer meaningful because those laws were created to be a separation. And so by abolishing the laws that separated us, the practices and the customs that the Jews would use to be different from the Gentiles, he tore down this divide that existed between Jew and Gentile. See, Jesus took two things divided by history, conflict, culture, and conditioning, and he made them one in himself and through himself. On the cross, Jesus killed all the hostility that exists between us because of our differences. Jesus put an end to the divisions that exist amongst his people. Now notice there I said not differences but divisions. God made us different on purpose. Jesus didn't come to make us unify or uniform. He came to make us unified. Because the differences that we have in our experience, and our understanding, and all the things that make us different. These are things that we should celebrate. Things that we should rejoice in. They are beautiful, powerful things. Because in those differences, we get to see a bigger picture of who God is and what God is like. So we don't reject the differences. We celebrate the differences. But what happens in our culture, in our hearts, is we turn sin, turns difference into division. Jesus turns difference into diversity. Diversity is when different people work together in unity to create harmony. Jesus took that which was divided, and he made it one in himself. Verse 19. So when you were no longer, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In the ancient world, citizenship wasn't just a source of pride. It was a source of identity. Where you were from was the culture It was woven into your personality. Its laws were written on your hearts. Its people were your people. There was a sense of camaraderie and brotherhood that came to simply being from the same place because where you were from defined you. If you remember in Acts 2 when the apostles start preaching the first sermon after Jesus ascended into heaven, what's the thing that the crowds take note of? These men are from Galilee. The first thing that they comment on is not what they're doing or who they are or their occupation, it's where they're from. Because where you were from defined you. And citizenship was especially important, especially Roman citizenship. It was this treasure to behold. People would serve in the Roman military for 20 years just to obtain Roman citizenship for their family. Because that citizenship came with rights and privileges that nobody else had. And so Paul, who understands this very intimately because he himself is a Roman citizen, Says in Jesus, you have a new citizenship, a greater citizenship that comes with greater rights and privileges than anything that this world has to offer. And in Him, our fellow citizens, that's our family. The source of Christian pride and patriotism is not found ultimately in our national citizenship, it is found in our spiritual citizenship. So we he's saying here is in Jesus, you have a home. In Jesus, you have a family. In Jesus, you have peace. We, who were outsiders, who couldn't even go into worship, we have a place in this kingdom of God. You see, listen, this is, the, this is the truth of what Paul is teaching us here that is so central to the joy and the peace that we have in Jesus. Two small words that fill our hearts. You belong. And if you have never felt the absence of that, you don't understand how important it is the despair and heartache that comes from feeling like you have no place. You belong. Have you ever moved? <laughs> you've, you've felt this, right? You go to a new place, you don't know anybody, you don't have roots down, and you just kind of feel lost and alone. And One of the biggest needs that you have in that new transition, that new moving, is you're like, i got to find some people. i got to find a place. I need to belong. It is wired into our hearts. It is a core need of our lives, like air for our lungs. So, belonging is for our souls. You belong. If you're broken, you belong. If you're hurting, you belong. If you're struggling and can't figure out how to get your life in order, you belong. If you feel like an outcast and a reject in your own life, you belong. If you are lost and confused, you belong. In Christ, you belong. Right? Like, Don't miss the significance of that. That you have a place where you belong no matter how many mistakes you make, no matter how deep your struggles run or how dark your past is, in Christ you belong. Because the creator of the universe, the king above every king, declares that you are his and that you belong to him. There is no satisfaction for the soul that comes like understanding that. No matter where you are in this world, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're enduring, you always have a place and you have a place for eternity where you belong. We were outsiders, interlopers, and outcasts. And Jesus made us insiders and placed us at the very center of God's purpose. We are no longer aliens, now heirs to the promises of God, no longer unworthy, but now citizens, even children of God, adopted into the family of God in church. It is time that we started defining ourselves, not by what the world says or what the world believes or by some thing in our life, but we started defining ourselves by Jesus, who is our cornerstone. Okay? In the ancient world, the cornerstone was part of the foundation. Now, in any building and structure, the foundation is the most important part doesn't matter what you build on top of it. If the foundation is garbage, the building is garbage. And in the ancient world, the most important part of the most important part of the building was the cornerstone. It's the stone that you set first and everything else was placed around it. That should be Jesus in our lives. That everything in us is built around, centered around him. It's because Jesus, he brings reconciliation and peace. Now, first and foremost, this means that Jesus puts an end to the hostility that exists between God and us. That means we have hope for eternity. It means we're no longer his enemies, no longer objects of his wrath, because Jesus has put away all hostility that God has toward us. But it also means that Jesus puts away the hostility, the conflict. The division that we have towards one another. And we walk in union with Jesus when we are unified with one another. Are you? Do you truly have unity with all the other Christian brothers and sisters in your life? Or are you still carrying baggage, offense? Wounds caused by something they said or you said, is there conflict and tension under the surface of your heart that is preventing you from experiencing the peace that Jesus gives? Do you truly have unity? Or is there still some animosity that has gone unaddressed? See, we are different, absolutely. Each and every one of us is different in our own ways. Are we going to hurt each other? Yeah. Are we going to offend each other? Yeah. Because community, even godly community built around Jesus is messy. But as the people of God, we do not divide that which Jesus died to unite. See, what Paul says here is that this is who you were. But now, in Christ Jesus, you've been made new. You have a new identity. The book of Ephesians, it's all about our identity. But when we fail to define ourselves by Jesus, we will inevitably define ourselves by things that divide us from one another. And the reason that we see division, discord, and disharmony within the church is because we, as the people of God, continue to define ourselves by the wrong thing. We fail to experience and to receive. Jesus gives us a new identity, but we don't always live in it. This is your life. What's inside, that's your identity that's what the world says this is who you are it's what you believe this is who I am things that over the years you've come to accept as things that defined you I'm smart I'm strong I'm weak I'm insecure I'm broken I'm this or that everything that you've come to believe collectively over the course of your life that's what's inside here this is your new identity in Jesus how do you get this into this The first thing you do is you have to empty this, right? Because you can't be new by just pouring the new on top of the old. That doesn't create transformation. That creates mild augmentation. But this is how we live. This is what it is for Christians so often. We come to Jesus, and we just try to pour him on top into the space that we have remaining in our lives. We would say things like, they need Jesus in their life. Nobody needs Jesus in their life. Everybody needs to surrender their life to Jesus. It's not an additive. It's not something that you pour on the top. If we want to have the new identity that Jesus has for us, the first thing that we have to do is pour out the old identity that we already have. In order to be filled with something new, you got to get rid of the old, and you cannot fill the vessel of your life with Jesus if it is still full of yourself. So the first step to being new, to being the new creation we are in Jesus is to pour out the old. That's your beliefs, your values, your ideas, the things that define you, the things that you believe are essential to who you are, all that the world says, that gets poured out so that your vessel is ready to receive the new identity that Jesus has for you. You cannot be new if you are still clinging to the old and if you continue to define yourself by the old you will never experience the fullness of the newness of life that you have in Jesus Second Corinthians 5.17 says if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. Notice what it says is not the old is under the surface but now hidden. It doesn't say that the old is reduced or changed. It doesn't say that the old has been augmented and made a little bit better. What it says is the old is gone. Who you were before is gone. What you were before is gone. Everything about your identity and existence removed, wiped clean, done away, poured out in Christ. so that you can be filled with him. And it is then that we understand Galatians 3.28. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, Male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Again, this does not mean that we become uniform and we all look and act and think the same. What it means is that each and every one of us as children of God has the same access to God, the same value to God, and the same it is worthy of the same honor. Yes, there are things that make us different, and we celebrate those things, but we are one. We are unified. We are brought together in Jesus, through Jesus, because we all need the cross to get to him. You are not who you were. Jesus did not come to augment your life. He came to transform it, to make you new. And Jesus establishes through the ministry of Jesus a new kingdom, made up of a new people, and he creates in us a new race. Defined not by age, gender, wealth, nationality, or the color of our skin, but defined by Jesus. Our identity is in him. He has made us completely and wholly new. And it is time that we let go of the baggage and the conflict and the tension and the hurts of the old self. It is time that we let go of the struggles and the scars and the desires of the old self and that we experience the newness of life that we have in Jesus because our identity is Him. You can't be new. If you won't let go of the old, it is time to pour out the vessel of who you were, that you can experience the transformation that comes from who Jesus has called you to be in Him and through Him. Because in Him, there is no division, in Him, there is no separation. Because to separate from one another is to separate from that which belongs to Jesus. How can Jesus be separated from himself? How can we who are filled with Jesus look down on or treat others as inferior to ourselves when they themselves have Jesus? The cure to alienation, prejudice, hatred, is in becoming the new creation that Jesus called us to be. Because when Jesus brings us to himself, he doesn't just make peace between us and God. He binds us to one another. So I wanna challenge you to look at your life, at your relationships, your family, your friends, and ask yourself, Do I see unity here? Or are there things that I need to go deal with? Jesus says, if you come to the altar to bring an offering, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, first leave your offering and go be reconciled to your brother. God says, you think I care about your money? I don't need your money. I'm God, I can do whatever I want. He says, you can't experience the connection to me that you need if you have this obstacle, this wall of separation between yourself and someone else who's also mine. We experience newness with Jesus by creating unity and harmony with each other. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you would take us who were not your people, the outsiders who you had no obligation or responsibility for and that you would make us yours, that in you we would have hope and peace and joy and in you we would have life. And God, I pray that we would let go. Whatever it is that is in our hearts, that is in our lives, that prevents us from experiencing the fullness of who you are, that we would pour it out that we would release it, that we would let it go, that we would experience just how great you are and that we would know the new creation that you have made us to be, that our lives would always be centered and focused on you. God, pour us out. For those who are hurting, God, that you would heal. For those who are broken, God, that you would give hope. For those who feel lost, God, that you would draw them to yourself. for those who are resistant, that you would crush that resistance and make them all moldable and pliable to you. That we would live as citizens and heirs of your kingdom, finding our place, our purpose, and our hope in you and in you alone. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for grace.